Good morning, everybody. Let's find our places and find your Bibles. This is going to be a great morning. Very, very thankful that we can be together as always, and I'm very thankful that you chose to come and be with us here this morning. I especially want to just say thank you to those of you who may be just visiting us for the first or second or third time. First Baptist is new to you. You're kind of just checking out either church in general or specifically our church, and you're learning a little more about what we're all about. Actually, if that is you, we're certainly especially grateful for uh, your visit today. But part of the reason I say that is because today we will be presenting for you a, a, a good example of why I think anyway that our church is unique. There's a lot of great churches out there. But one of the things that's unique about our church is that we actually believe that the book that we hold in our hands is genuinely the Word of God. And we take the time to actually study it in its context and to teach it expositionally. And today is Bible study day, okay? We're going to cover a lot of material in a relatively short time. Short is relative, I get it but a relatively short amount of time. It's, there's a lot of material to cover today, and we have a great subject for our study. And, and this series through the month of November has been, as you see on the screen, the millennium. And so when we're talking about the millennium, what we are talking about is literally God's spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God, manifesting itself in a physical way on planet Earth. And that kingdom is going to last for a thousand years. And that's where the word millennium comes from. Mill, meaning a thousand, and annum, meaning years, a thousand year kingdom, where Jesus Christ, after his second coming, we all know about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It could happen anytime soon. We don't know exactly when. After Jesus Christ returns and he will judge the unbelieving world, then we will enter into a time which will be 1,000 years of Jesus Christ ruling on this very planet, okay? We call that the millennium. And that's kind of the subject for our study. When I got into studying for this week, I just got to tell you, it's been a tiring couple of weeks trying to get ready for this. This theme, this kingdom, it, it literally is, whether you understand this or not, it is the main theme of the entire Bible. So we're covering all that in less than an hour, okay? Uh, hitting the highlights, obviously. Skipping across the mountaintops today as we cover some of that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. The kingdom of Jesus Christ on earth for a thousand years, as it then eventually leads into eternity, being the main theme of the Bible, it, it just amazes me that so few Christian people really understand what it's going to be all about. And so we've taken a couple of weeks and kind of got a running start at it. Today, what we're going to talk about are some of the overriding characteristics of what we can expect based on what God's Word says that that time will be like. And if you don't already understand these things, man, this is going to be eye-opening. This is going to be very interesting for you. Maybe you've studied the Bible for years, and, and this will just be a good reminder for you. And if that's you, man, just bask in the light of God's glory and enjoy the fact that he will remind you of all the wonderful, wonderful things that await us, not unlike the songs that we were just singing. So that's an awesome opportunity. So as I attempt in the next number of minutes to describe to you these characteristics, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him to teach us, and let's prepare our hearts to receive his word.
Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, there's so much to see, and your word whispers to us about it, and sometimes screams to us about it, all through this book, your word. And I just pray that right now, that as we have taken time just to worship you and to thank you for all that you've done, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life on Calvary and you shed your blood and you rose from the dead and you tore the veil and you made a way that we can know you and, and, and have a personal daily relationship with you, that this relationship goes on forever. I, I pray, Lord, that you would just calm our hearts and allow us to receive your revelation, that we would be able to see the things that you have revealed await us in the future. And I'm very thankful for that. And I, Lord, I just, I just also want to pray for those who might be here who, deep in their heart, they're just not sure that should their life end anytime soon, that they would have their home in this place. I, I pray that today would be the day that they could understand that they can just simply surrender to you and they can secure their future as well. Thank you for your uh, revelation. Thank you for our future being secure. And thank you for your word. We pray you teach it to us in your name. Amen. All right. Well, the first thing that we're going to jump into is just a little running start, and, and that is this, is that when we study the Scriptures, okay, those of us that study it a little deeper, we get into these Bible school courses and that sort of thing, we need to understand that we understand that the Scriptures need to be understood, and here's a word you may or may not use very often, dispensationally, okay? Now, any, any number of these things that I'll refer to today are subjects in of themselves, but many of you know what this means, some of you do not. To understand what it means to be, what is a dispensation? Well, a dispensation in the Bible literally just refers to a period of time where God dispenses, that's the root of the word, okay, um, his grace, his love, his way to, for man to connect with him in different various ways throughout history. So there are different ways throughout time where the, God has revealed his plan to us and he has divided time into separate sections. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 talks about how we are to rightly divide the word of truth. And so the Bible definitely divides up time and history into sections. A very major division that's very obvious for us all to understand is your Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. And when we think about the Old Testament, the overarching biggest theme throughout the Old Testament is what we refer to as the law, the law of Moses. As God gave it to Moses on Sinai, and the bulk of your Old Testament has to do with the, the nation of Israel being God's people and needing to keep God's law. Then you get into the New Testament, and we don't necessarily have to keep all the details of the animal sacrifices and all those sorts of things, but in the New Testament, we emphasize God's principle of grace. Now, certainly God has a law. It's his word. It exists today. Certainly God had grace back then as well. But the overarching principle today is grace. In other words, we spiritually apply the lessons learned from the physical pictures of the Old Testament law. But what about before the law? Because God had people running around here before Moses ever showed up, and the law showed up with Moses. There were dispensations of time God dealt with those people differently. What about after the church? What about after this time of the church age and the church is raptured out and we go on to the next dispensation of time and that is the millennium. It is the millennium. There's a brief time of the tribulation. Uh, Ryan shared it with us about that last week. But the main next step is this 1,000 year time which we refer to as the millennium. And so this kingdom, this millennium is nothing more than 
And, and there's a lot of different ways to break down dispensations. It's not the discussion today. The most common way and the way we like to teach it is that there are seven major dispensations. This millennium, this kingdom, this 1,000-year kingdom is nothing more than the seventh dispensation, okay? It's the last one. So in other words, here's, here's what I'm trying to say. The millennium is not heaven, okay? You got to get that. The millennium is not eternity. It has a fixed amount of time. At the end of the 1,000 years, it will be over, and then we will enter into a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, okay? And that goes on forever. And so this seventh dispensation, this millennial kingdom on earth, God is not yet finished with man. And most specifically, God is not yet finished with Israel, as we'll see before we're done today. So 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8 is that verse that reminds us that a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And so this day, this 1,000-year this time period on God's calendar, it's just another day. It's the millennial day. It's a 1,000-year day. It's, by the way, referred to in the Scripture, the day of the Lord, sometimes referred to simply as that day, sometimes referred to as the Lord's day. Many of us been in church a lot of years. We think, well, today's Sunday. Today's the Lord's day. I understand how we use that, but in the Bible, the Lord's day is the day of the Lord. It's the 1,000-year millennial kingdom. That's what it is, okay? So that's an important thing. It's an important distinction. If we're going to understand that, it is the seventh day, okay, then we're going to go back all the way to the beginning of creation. I'm just giving you some background information. In the creation story, if we are to believe God's word, and remember, that's what's unique about us. We actually believe that what God said is true, and we're just going to believe it. God created everything that is in our known universe in six days, right? And on the seventh day, he rested. And so, interestingly, if you follow that chronology of those days back in Genesis chapter 1, one of the things that you'll see is, for example, on the fifth day is the first mention of life appearing. If you go through the chronology of the Bible and, and the fathers and their sons and how old they were before their sons were born, etc., etc., we would take the chronology to understand that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, that he created them 4,000 years before Jesus Christ, 4,000 B.C. This whole idea of tens of thousands and millions of years with cavemen is just a myth. Okay, according to the Bible, if we're going to believe the Bible, 4,000 years of human history before Jesus Christ. That means that when Jesus Christ shows up, Jesus Christ shows up at the beginning of the fifth day. Because on the fifth day, life shows up. Since Jesus Christ, we've been around for about 2,000 years or two days. So sitting here at 2013, almost into 2014, exact calendars, okay, you can debate all that. About two full days since Jesus Christ, okay, it's coming up on the end of the sixth day, y'all. That means that this subject that we're about to talk about, this seventh day, it could be very soon. It could happen much sooner than maybe some of us have even thought about. And that's an important thing to keep in mind because when we study this, I want you to understand that this is a reality. This is a big deal, okay? So with that in mind, listen, doesn't it? I mean, don't you kind of want to know what it's going to be about? Don't you kind of want to have an idea about what to expect? I mean, as much as we can know anyway, right? As much as we can get down in the next 45 minutes or so. 
I mean, let's get, get what we can and hopefully uh, feed your soul into desiring to find out even more. So let's investigate at least three distinct areas of life, okay? If, if you want, this might be a good time for you. Man, there's a lot of scripture. A lot of things are going to pop up on the screen. Maybe just sit back, relax, take it in. Flip like crazy through your Bibles if you want to. Take notes if you want to. But let God speak to you. Just let God just speak to your heart about what he wants you to know about what's coming up in the future. The first thing that we're going to look at is human life, okay? All of the three points in your notes have something to do with life. The first one is human life. Now, just remember that the millennium is not heaven, okay? Remember that. It's just the next dispensation. So human life does continue, But the circumstances and the environment in which man will live on planet Earth for those thousand years are going to be drastically different. Uh, As we've seen before, Jesus Christ returns the second time. He's in a glorified body. He literally rules planet Earth from the throne in Jerusalem. Okay, We, the church with him, will rule and reign with him in, in glorified bodies. The government that he establishes, it's a kingdom. It's a monarchy. The Bible says it is a theocracy where the Greek word theo literally just means God. It's a government run by God, okay? So it's a theocracy. It's a dictatorship, okay? But Jesus Christ is perfectly holy and right and just. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, these are verses that we frequently read around Christmas time because it starts off by saying, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ, prophesies about the coming of the Messiah. And he does not differentiate between his first coming and his second coming. That only happens in time. So up to the first colon, it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. That's the first coming. The next part is going to be fulfilled in his second coming, where it says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. That's this theocracy. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then verse 7 goes on and it says, And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And that then flips over into eternity going on beyond the millennium because he will rule forever and ever. So all of us, Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior now during this dispensation of grace, the church, the body of Christ, his bride, we will appear with Jesus Christ in glorified, sinless bodies, ruling and reigning with Christ over the earth that is populated by regular humans in regular bodies living their lives like we are living our lives today. That's an important distinction. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we were studying in Luke chapter 19. And so Jesus Christ will come. His, his, his appearance will be like it was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible says in Psalm 104 that he covers himself with light as, like a garment. And so this is the millennial day. This is the seventh day. Okay, And the seventh day from the time of creation, God finished everything he was creating in six days, It says, and on the seventh day, he did what? He rested. He rested. Now, that's very interesting because we set up then our regular week, 
Six days a man was to work. On the seventh day a man was to rest. All through the Old Testament it was called a weekly Sabbath, different things like that. But when we think about this 1,000-year day of the Lord, y'all, this is a time of rest. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3, it talks about how the devil, Satan, the archenemy, he's bound in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. There's no more evil influence that you can blame on the devil. Uh, there's no more attack, spiritual warfare. There's none of that because it is a day of rest. It, and as such, it becomes man's final test. I mean, it is the time where man who lives on this earth will have the most favorable circumstances of any human being of any time ever short of Adam and Eve all alone in the garden because sin entered in so quickly. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a deceiver. Satan is the father of all lies. And he's just out of the picture. The Bible talks about the princes of the powers of the air, the demons. They're out. And the prince of peace, the everlasting father, he's in. And, and so this is a time of peace. This is a time of rest. This is a time when these regular humans are living on this planet, okay, are living normal lives. That, that means they're getting up in the morning, they're getting married, they're having kids, they're going to work, the kids go to school, they're playing sports, they're planting gardens, they're, they're doing stuff, okay, for a thousand years. So who are these people? Well, this is a whole nother Bible study, but the very short answer is, these are people who we would call tribulation saints. In other words, these are people who were faithful throughout the time period, that seven-year time period after the rapture of the church and before the second coming of Christ. That time is called the time of tribulation. I know if you were here last week, we talked about the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, about 70 weeks where a week is determined as seven years, not seven days in that prophecy. And 69 of those weeks are gone and one week is left. That 70th week of Daniel's prophecy is the tribulation. The people who will survive that time having been faithful are the people who will enter into this millennial kingdom in regular bodies. And in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 4, it refers to them where it says, And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, the Antichrist, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. You hear the, 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 the Bible teachings about the mark of the beast and all of that? If, if any person takes the mark of the beast on his right hand or on his forehead, that person will absolutely go to hell. That person cannot be saved. He can get on his knees and beg Jesus for forgiveness. It's not happening. But the people who resist and refuse that stuff, it says they, many of them will die for their faith, okay? But they will end up entering into this kingdom, okay? They lived and reigned with Christ. How long? A thousand years because it's the kingdom. That's what it is. So you have Jews and you have Gentiles as well, and they enter directly into this kingdom. And can I just add that they will only be Jews and Gentiles who had not previously heard the gospel during the time of the church age. All the people that we share the gospel with and continue to refuse the grace of God 
And let's say that before this day's over, the rapture comes, poof, we're gone, and the seven-year clock begins. So I have families and, and loved ones that I've shared the gospel with that have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe you're here and you're still considering it. That's fine. Understand this. If you have the chance to receive Jesus Christ now and you put it off and put it off and put it off and your loved ones who are saved all of a sudden disappear one day and you're thinking, hey, well, once I see them disappear, then I'll believe. Nope. It's too late for you because God says that he'll send strong delusion to you and you will believe a lie and you will take the mark of the beast and you will go to hell. You think that sounds crazy? Um, Well, I'm sorry. Take it up with the author. I mean, that's what he said. That's what he said. And so these will be, but listen, the world is full of people who have never heard. That's why we emphasize missions. That's why we got to get the word out to these people, right? The world is full of people who have never heard and that's who these people are going to be. Okay, so what's that life going to be like, really? What, what is that human life? Okay, we're not talking about the church. We're not talking about the glorified bodies. We're talking about regular human life. Three main characteristics. First one, long life. And this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, the fact that men are going to live a whole lot longer than we live, that makes perfect sense. In fact, it's going to go back, if you're familiar, to life as it was before Noah's flood. Before Noah's flood, even though it was after sin entered the world, they still lived hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, did they not? And that's basically what we can expect. Isaiah chapter 65, starting in verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die in a hundred years old. But the sinner being in a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. In other words, there's not going to be premature death for little babies. Uh, if, if a person were to die at 100 years old, they would be considered a child. And everybody pretty much is going to, it says they're going to fulfill their days. Everybody will fulfill the number of days that they are supposed to fulfill, okay? And exactly how many days that is, we don't know. But the fact that there's never going to be, this is not the time where there is no more death. It just is a time where people live a really long time, okay? Uh, If you went to Zechariah chapter 8, it kind of refers to the same thing. And down in verse number 4, it talks about there'll be old men and old women that dwell in the streets of Jerusalem and every man with his staff in his hand for very age. So there's going to be long, and I mean long, life. And compared to the kingdom, all of us in this room are mere children. Isn't that awesome? Mere children. Well, you think to yourself, I think to myself, wow, you know, I'm just over 50 and I'm just a child, but dang, stuff hurts. (laughs) Stuff don't work right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Got it covered. The next point, great health. Because the Bible talks about no blind, lame, no orphans, no, no, no cancer victims, no life-threatening diseases, great nutrition, healthy environment, everybody helping one another. Psalms 146. By the way, Psalms is a great book of prophecy. Verses 5 through 10. Happy is he. I love when the Bible says happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. 
The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The, listen, as we're reading through this, understand, we can make a spiritual application how when we get saved, God spiritually does that for us. This is a millennial prophecy of literally what the earth will be like when he returns. He opens the eyes of the blind. He raises them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers, slash foreigners, in other words. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. And we're going to see before we're done partly how the Lord is going to pull that off. But long life, great health, great nutrition, environment, positive, helpful. One other thing that is specifically mentioned, so I put it in your notes, is childbearing. In other words, no sterility. There's a lot of people who are married. They love each other. They love the Lord. They pray for children, and it just doesn't work out. Biologically, there's things that aren't working, and, and they pray, and for whatever reason. Those are all things that will be gone in this kingdom. It says in Psalm 113 and verse number 9, again, a, a millennial prophecy, he maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Psalm 128, verse 3, thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house thy children like olive plants round about thy table what are we really getting at when we talk about some of these issues that God says he's going to alleviate well it's interesting because these are some physical infirmities these are some physical setbacks these are burdens that many of us have to deal with in our life that in the eyes of many people they use these excuses then to blame God don't they People turn from God. How could a loving God allow my young child to have died? Those are very difficult times to go through. How is it possible we love God and desperately want to raise children to love him, but he won't allow us to have any? How is it that all this sickness and disease and difficulty, and people blame God for those things, these excuses are gone. Everybody's life is fulfilled. That's kind of on an individual level that can go all the way across the board, but kind of on a more corporate level, we're going to talk a little bit about the nation of Israel because that is a major purpose of this time frame. Israel is reestablished as God's people, kind of as they were in the Old Testament. Today, we are God's people, all we who humble ourselves and, and repent of our sins and invite Jesus Christ to come to be our Lord and Savior. The vast majority of us on the planet that have done that are non-Jewish people. We come from a Gentile background, okay? But Israel was God's people, and they are going to be again. And so what we see is that Israel as a corporate nation will be saved, okay? Romans chapter 11 tells us a mystery, starting in verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And so literally the second coming of Jesus Christ to establish this kingdom there will be a believing remnant 
of people who have a Hebrew background, many of which did not believe, but many of which did, that come through the tribulation, that recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah, finally, they turn to the Lord, and all those that remain make up all that's left of Israel. They all enter into the kingdom, and all of Israel, this believing remnant, shall be saved. And God reestablishes this nation as his people. He is the supreme leader. They are his people. Therefore, Israel now fulfills what it says in Deuteronomy 28 and verse 13, that they will be the head of all nations. Now, I hate to break it to the guys in New York City at the United Nations Assembly who don't particularly want Israel to be even on the map, let alone on top of the map. But all the nations of this world today are nothing more than a headless body. There is no one nation, it's not ours, it's not anybody's, that is the chief nation over all other nations. But there will be, and it'll be Israel. There will be, and it'll be Israel. So you better watch it when stuff's going on in politics, when people take hard stands against the nation of Israel, which, by the way, there's one that's on the news today. So go home and watch it and see what you think. But our country continues to make decisions that makes Israel mad, okay? So it's just something to keep track of. Israel's future is secure. Ours, not so sure. The next thing, Jesus Christ will rule during this time. Interestingly enough, in Psalms chapter 2, it says he will rule with a rod of iron. That means that there will be no visible rebellion during this thousand years. I mean, it is, and like your last point, a time of worldwide peace. No more war. I mean, just stop for a second and think about that. Worldwide peace. And so we go back to our friends in the United Nations, and some of you may know that there is a, a plaque out in front of the building in New York, and there is a Bible verse inscripted in front of this building, and it says, Micah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. These are the verses inscribed in the front of the United Nations Assembly in New York City. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Now, the United Nations is never going to bring this in. Only Jesus is going to bring this in. The point I want you to get is this. Can you imagine what the world would be like when we don't have to spend all of the time and money and resources and energy and intellectual integrity towards killing everybody else? And we can just focus on loving and helping each other live happy lives for an extended period of time? Can you imagine what that'll be like? It says in Psalm 68, 29 that the other world leaders, the other national world leaders will come and will bring gifts to Jesus every year. Well, of course, why not? Are you kidding? Can you imagine the man that literally brings in world peace? I mean, what will Miss America want to see anymore? It's already done. <laughs> the guy who literally does that they're like, wow, let's, let's bring him. This is awesome. I can't believe you really did this, which is also the reason why the Antichrist, knowing this, tries to deceive people bringing in a false peace 
in the beginning of that tribulation time. But by now, that's done, and the real peace is established when Jesus Christ shows up. All the political lies, all the deception, it's over. There's one government. It's righteous. It's pure. It's holy. It's unified. It's peaceful. That's what it's going to be. Real people going to work every day on this planet. And lastly, Israel's mission is to be a blessing to the Gentile nations. This goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. God calls out Abram and he tells him, look, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to all the families of this world. All the nations, all the peoples are going to be blessed through Abraham, which ultimately is the father of the Israel nation. And so that is their mission. They are to declare the goodness of Jehovah God all across this planet. So that's something about human life, okay? Let's, let's transition into the next one, which is going to be natural life. Natural life. And so nature will be affected in large part because there's going to be a new temple in Jerusalem. And that new temple in Jerusalem is described for you in a lot of detail in the last nine chapters of the book of Ezekiel. So if you were to take your time and just jot down Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, and you go through and you read a lot of details about this temple, okay? But it affects natural life. It affects nature. What are the things, what are the elements that really affect nature more than anything else? Well, one of the things is light, right? Light, and then the next thing will be water. So concerning the light in Isaiah chapter 30, and verse 26, it says, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. And the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days. In the day, that's the day, that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. Uh, if you were to jump down to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 19 and 20, it says, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. In other words, they'll be there, but you don't need them for light. Why is that? But the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light. And thy God, thy glory, thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. The sun, for those of you Bible students know, represents a picture for us of God as a trinity, shining and giving us light on this earth. The moon, for those of you that understand, is a picture of the church. The moon is a dead planet that has no light of its own. The moon reflects the light of the sun. In the millennial day, the sun and the moon are both together always because Jesus Christ and the church are both visible together always. But you don't need them for light because the very Shekinah glory from the throne of God himself enlightens everything all the time. It's perfect light. And the other thing is water. We're, we're going to get to the physical side of this in a second. Ezekiel chapter 47, among those chapters I mentioned. There's a new river that flows out from this temple. Ezekiel 47, verse number 1. Afterward, he brought me again into the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. Now, if you went to my house and I saw waters you know, ushering out from my threshold. I'm worried, okay? Here it's a good thing. For the front, forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Now this is important 
because this water, this, this river that's flowing out of the temple, it turns out to be the source of all transforming life on earth. These waters flow into the existing water system of the planet to heal them. Verse number 8 of that chapter. Then said he unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And so as a result, these waters bring life. And so there will be, for example, great multitudes of fish in the waters and fishing will be easy. Verse number nine, it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. This is a river of life. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed and everything shall live whither the river cometh. Everything these waters touch lives. The Bible talks about how there's trees, fruit trees, on both sides growing up all along this river. Of course, drawing the waters from this river and producing fruit in their season. And it says the leaves of the trees are for medicine, affecting the long life of the people, I might add. Verse number 12 of that same chapter. And by the river upon the bank thereof on this side and on that side shall grow trees for meat whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to its months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. Exactly how does it play out? Does anybody ever get sick? I'm not 100% sure. I'm reading for you what I know, but I know this, that let's just say somebody's not feeling good. Okay. Let's just walk over the tree. Let's snip off a couple of leaves, maybe get a cup of water, boil it, make some tea, drink it, feeling great. I don't know. But the leaves thereof are for medicine and everything that water touches lives. So people are living a long time and they're very healthy. It's going to affect all of plant life. That's the next thing we're going to look at, plant life specifically. Romans 8, 21, um, 22 and 23 for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. This is the time of the church written. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. And so at this point now in history, we say, look, yes, we cannot wait till the day that God eventually redeems not just our soul, but our bodies. In other words, at that second coming, we become the full glory of the sons of God, but not just us. All of creation that's still under a curse is groaning. Can you just imagine thinking, oh, I can't wait till this thing is set free and we can finally live and produce like God wants us to. And so what you see in plant life is that nature takes on the characteristics of Eden, the garden of God, before the fall of man and before sin. In other words, the curse of sin that was passed on to the devil and man and woman, it was also passed on to nature, that curse is removed. 
So what you're going to see in the millennium is this land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to see, even from the days of Joshua, and I realize that was after the curse, but when, when Joshua was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land and they saw this land flowing with milk and honey and great fruit trees and, and all this sort of thing going on, they said, God said, look, if you'll just keep my Sabbaths, this land will continue to produce. And of course, ultimately they didn't and they go into captivity, etc., but there was, I mean, remember they'd go in and they'd see the, you know, a, a bunch of grapes. It'd be like a bunch of grapefruits, you know, and two guys carrying this bunch of grapes on a stick. I mean, it was just amazing the production that could go forth. And, and similar to Eden before sin, prophet Joel chapter number three, verse 18 says it this way. And it shall come to pass in that day. What day is that? That's the day of the Lord. It's the millennium. That's the context. That the mountains shall drop down new wine. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters, and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. In other words, there's going to be perfect watering. There's going to be great fruit production. Therefore, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 35, in verse number 1, that the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. You know what that means to us? That means that, you know what? There's never going to be any problem with overpopulation. Because now we think maybe of overpopulated areas because there's only so much land that's inhabitable. Personally, I don't think there's an overpopulation problem right now. People just want to all live together on top of each other. There's plenty of land we could live on. But then there's no desert wilderness where you can't grow anything. Then every piece of ground can produce. There's plenty of room for everybody, right? It says in Psalm 65, 9, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn, which thou hast so provided for it. If you went down to Psalm 67, it talks about how the earth shall yield her increase. In fact, in that passage in Psalm 67, it talks about how we praise the Lord and lift up his name and give glory to his name. Then the earth shall yield her increase. Maybe there's something about us praising the Lord more. No more thorns, no more briars. That, that's an issue that came from the curse, right? How many of you just love going out and pulling weeds in your garden? Isaiah 55, 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So plant life is affected. And of course, animal life is affected as well. The key passage we'll look at is in Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. House pets will look a little different. <laughs> the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. These are poisonous snakes. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the law of the jungle is out. There is no more jungle 
It's a garden. What is a jungle? It's a garden gone crazy. (laughs) That's what it is. And there's no more of that. It's a garden. That's where God put man. That's where he intends for us to be. It says the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That means everybody's a vegetarian. Sorry. Like it was in the garden before sin. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. Adam and Eve, the animals before sin. God said, behold, I have given you to Adam every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. The word meat in your King James Bible literally just means for food. And to every beast, not just man, of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. Do you know which animals are unclean in the Old Testament law of unclean meats that you're not supposed to eat? They're animals that eat flesh. Those are the meats you're not supposed to eat. The meats that you're supposed to eat are animals that eat herbs. That all changed after Noah's flood, by the way. It's, oh, go have a hamburger for lunch. It's fine. <laughs> Genesis 9, 3. After the flood, Noah and his family, they step off the ark, and God sets a new set of standards, a new dispensation. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So you've been eating the green herbs until now. Now you can eat the animals. Now you can eat the animals. That's after the flood. Listen, who doesn't want to go there? Who doesn't want to live in this environment? I mean, can you imagine how mad the intellectual atheists are going to be when they realize what they missed? Forget all the rest of the bad stuff that goes with the consequences of missing it. Can you imagine? By that time, it'll be too late to repent. Now's the time. All right, lastly. So we looked at natural life, looked at human life. Let's talk about spiritual life. Because the millennium is a spiritual kingdom, and it's manifest in a physical way on earth. I get that. But when I talk about spiritual life, literally what I'm talking about is how man is going to interact with his God. In other words, it is the life of worship. How are we going to worship Jesus Christ? And when I say we, literally, I'm talking about specifically the people that are on the earth. Not so much we who are just like Christ now. We, the church, are done. We are in glorified bodies, okay? But yet still, it says, how is this worship going to take place? What will it be like? Remember, it is just the next dispensation. Well, the first thing is the new temple will be the center of all worship. Similar to the Old Testament where the temple was the center of worship. In the wilderness, it was the tabernacle, which was temporary. But there was a location from which all the worship went. And there is this new temple. Notice in the book of Colossians, chapter number two, again, written to the church, it makes this very interesting statement. If you've never noticed it, please pay attention. Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you, church, in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, colon, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. 
So the new moon and the Sabbath and the holy days are still going to show up again after the church. They're associated with temple worship. That's what they're associated with. But it's not going to be exactly like it used to be. There are some things that there will not be in the millennial temple that were in the other Old Testament temples. Okay? So, for example, when we go down some of the, some of the items that were in the temple, the golden candlestick, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. Some of you don't know what that is. It's okay. Back in Exodus, it explains it. A lot of you do know what that is. These are items in the temple. There's not going to be the Ark of the Covenant. There's not going to be, there's no mention of that. There's no mention of what the items that were inside the Ark of the Covenant, the Moses Ten Commandments, those tablets, the, the pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded. Again, many of you know what I'm talking about. These were items placed in the Ark as a reminder to Israel. There is no veil. We sang the song. He tore the veil. He made a way for us to enter into his presence. There's no veil separating the Holy of Holies. We are living on planet Earth with a glorified Christ in our midst. There are none of those things anymore in the temple. They do not exist anymore. But interestingly enough, one thing does exist, and you wouldn't think it would, but it does. And that's that brass altar that was out front in the outer court. It's that brazen altar, that altar on which the Levitical priesthood did these blood sacrifices of animals. That's showing up again. Why is that? What is that all about? Well, it says so in Ezekiel chapter 43. It says, He said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God. Again, the context is this millennial temple. These are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it to offer burnt offerings thereon, and to sprinkle blood thereon. And the, Levit, the Levites, the, the, the descendants of Levi and then Aaron that make the priesthood, that tribe of Israel are going to be the ones who serve the temple in those areas. It talks about in Ezekiel um, 44, 17 to 24, it talks about some of the qualifications and the duties of these Levites. And among, besides just doing the sacrifices, they will be the teachers. They will help us to keep the Sabbath. They will judge the people's problems rightly. I mean, there are certain duties that they'll carry out, but they will also carry out these um, duties of these sacrifices. And here's the thing that you've got to get. Because it's not heaven, because it's not eternity, it's just the next time frame, there are human beings, there is still sin. So there will still be sacrifices which continue for sin. Ezekiel 45, 17. And it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings and meat offerings and drink offerings in the feasts and the new moons and the Sabbaths. Remember, we read all that in Colossians chapter 2. In all solemnities of the house of Israel, he shall prepare the sin offering and the meat offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Why? To make reconciliation for the house of Israel. That means that there will be sin there will not be outward rebellion. There will not be wars. Life will be a million times better than we understand it. But there's still going to be rebellion in the hearts of man. Next week, if you come back, we'll talk more about that. Sin and how God will deal with that. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. But there are, it's interesting, there is a place for salvation. There will be those who come directly from the tribulation and you could say they're saved, they made it but they will give birth to new children. It's a thousand years, y'all. 
there's going to be lots of new people running around who didn't know about the past other than reading the stories. And they have to make their decision just like anybody else. And by the way, in this millennial dispensation, there ain't nobody getting on their knees and praying to receive Jesus in their hearts for forgiveness of sins. That ain't happening. Remember the Bible says that faith is the opposite of sight. Jesus is alive and well in a glorified body flying around. I mean, you don't need faith to believe in Jesus. God's going to expect some people to do some works and to obey him, and certainly to obey him with a pure heart. But it's just the next dispensation. There are some of the feasts. Again, this has to do with the nation of Israel. And there's, of all the feasts of Israel, two of them specifically are mentioned that are going to continue, and I believe there's only two that are going to continue. The first one is the Passover. The Passover appears in the first month of the Hebrew calendar. It's about our April time, roughly around where we celebrate Easter. The Passover, but in this case, the Passover in the millennium, you won't have to offer a lamb because that's done. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's done. There's no need for that. But it does say in Ezekiel 45, 21, in the first month and the 14th day of the month, ye shall have the Passover, a feast of seven days, Unleavened bread shall be eaten. And just like in the Jewish calendar, the feast of the Passover initiated a seven-day feast of unleavened bread, leaven representing bad doctrine and sin and that sort of a thing. And so the idea would be is that the Passover for a thousand years continues to celebrate not God's judgment but his forgiveness and their commitment to clean living, get all the leaven out. Okay? The other feast that's celebrated is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles appears in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, which would be about our month, September. That would also be the timing of Jesus' actual birth, not December. It would also be the timing of Jesus' second coming during the Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah 14, 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem um, shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be noticed that whoso will not come up, people say, I ain't going, I'm not doing it. Of all the families of the earth and Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So that would stink, right? You're a farmer, you know, the desert's supposed to bloom like a rose, but you're like, I'm not going up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Lord's like, okay, we'll just turn the rain off on you for a while. <laughs> you might want to think about that. There's not going to be outward rebellion, y'all. There's just not. In your heart, there will be. But the Feast of Tabernacles means God tabernacles or dwells among us. Of course, we continue to celebrate the feast where God is dwelling among us. Let's just bottom line it, kind of draw it to a close here. The good news, everybody worships Jehovah God. Everybody. I don't know how it affects your daily life, but there's no competitors. There's no, you ever, you ever heard the saying, God doesn't believe in atheists? Atheists don't believe in God, God doesn't believe in atheists. There's no atheists. How could you be an atheist in the millennium? It's impossible. There's no multitude of religions. Everybody worships Jehovah God. Everybody. It's very interesting. In Hebrews chapter 8, I love this, verse 10 and 11. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, notice the timing, Bible students, after those days. That term, those days, is always doctrinally going to refer to the tribulation. 
after those days, that's the millennium. (laughs) This is the covenant I'll make with Israel in the millennium, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. That's evangelism. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. No need for that. Everybody knows the Lord. You know what that means? Complete unity of faith. Isn't that amazing? Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Finally. No more fighting. No more churches and denominations and world religions and people killing each other and arguing and debating. And remember the wars? All wars are religious in their core. All of them. No more politics, no more religion. Woo! Just Jesus. That's all. It's awesome. The only question you really need to be sure of is, are you sure you're going? Next week, we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the Sermon on the Mount literally represents for us doctrinally the constitution of Christ's 1,000 year kingdom. Yes, there's many wonderful things we can apply to the church age, but that's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to be the constitutional document for how life will be led in the millennium. It'll be very interesting. Please come back. In that passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. That kingdom of heaven is the literal, physical manifestation of God's kingdom. It's the millennium. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, that day, the day of the Lord, 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 have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And Jesus doesn't even deny that they did some good stuff. And then will I, Jesus says, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Because the issue is not the good things that you've done. The issue is not that you're a nice person and a good neighbor and highly moral and honest. And those are wonderful things, by the way. Jesus wants to know if you know him personally have you surrendered your heart invited him into your heart and your life as your personal lord and savior you have truly laid it all down you have absolutely surrendered your will to his will if you have not ever done that then everything we've described in this last hour is something that you will never experience your experience will be far different and you do not want it But Jesus extends to you this invitation. So if you're not sure that if your life were to end today, God forbid some terrible traffic accident on the way home, if you're not sure that your home would be in heaven, if you're not sure that your future is as we described, man, get that right today. Many of you would say, man, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for what the Lord's done for me, and I'm so thankful for what is yet waiting for me. There's no better time than to just take time and thank him. It's Thanksgiving next week.
And we thank the Lord for a lot of wonderful things that he does. And a lot of it has to do with our family. And a lot of it has to do with the abundance that he allows us to enjoy in North America. That's fine. It really is fine. Let's not also forget to just thank him for what we're going to be doing for the next thousand years and beyond. Because he's, he's told us all about it. Let's do that. Let's pray together.